Welcome, everybody. How you doing this weekend? That's awesome. Welcome to everybody who's attending online this morning, whether you're in North Carolina or Oklahoma or wherever you're at in between. Uh, we're just welcome everybody who participates at Connection, whether it's live or later. And uh, like Jeff said earlier, Pastor Jeff, we do really live to connect people to God and each other through Jesus. This has been important to me for a long time, and I was reminded of that yesterday. Kirsten and I had the privilege of going back to where we met, St. Louis Christian College, and it was a special day there to get a little insider information. Yesterday was the last day for St. Louis Christian College as they're merging with Central Christian College the Bible up in Moberly, and uh, so we were there for graduation, and it was just really neat to think about all the thousands of people who've gone through St. Louis Christian College and been sent out into the world to help people just get connected to God and each other through Jesus. It's fantastic. Uh, one thing that was very special, I know if not for everybody this won't mean anything, but for some of you, the name Tim Paninski will mean something, and Tim and I met in college 150 years ago. And um, Tim was a part of the Connection family. He passed away last fall, but Tim had never finished his degree at St. Louis. He'd gone and got other degrees, including a master, but uh, he was so close, and he'd actually gone back to St. Louis to finish it off and did not get to finish it before he passed. But they went in and gave him his degree yesterday, so we got to celebrate with him there. Yeah, yeah. And we got to celebrate with Truman Rhodes. Truman was the pastor who, or pastor to be, maybe, what do we want to call you, uh, who presented communion, and Truman's a part of our team here. Truman graduated from St. Louis Christian College yesterday, was literally the last person to walk the line as a graduate at St. Louis before closed it up. They gave him every single honor you can imagine, summa cum laude. I think they made some things up for him, even just to, kind of glazed over because the list just went on and on. I honestly don't know why the team here keeps me. Like with Truman and everyone else on our team, it's just the level it keeps getting higher and higher. But I'm glad that you graduated and uh, we're so happy you're part of the team. So show up to work, shave. <laughs> uh, that, I'm just reflecting what the pastor told me when I first started. You got to show up on time and shave. You know. So welcome to the team. We're so happy. Uh, it was a great day yesterday, and it's, we're just so excited to see what God does through all of us together. I was uh, A few years ago, you might have heard about this kid down near Atlanta, Georgia, Gwinnett, Ruben Insema, playing soccer on a select team in high school. He was the goalie. He went to dive for a ball to save it, and he got kicked in the head accidentally. And that was unfortunate because he got a concussion, which was his third concussion. He was having massive seizures by the time they got him on the helicopter to medevac him to the hospital. And he was in a coma for three days. What happened next was incredible. When Reuben woke up, Reuben had been speaking Southern English in his entire life, but he woke up speaking fluent Spanish right? How does that work? Eventually the Spanish faded, but he could for a while just was talking Spanish. And I think, wow, is that what it takes? I mean, I would not have to keep my Duolingo streak going on. If somebody just wants to kick me in the head and help me out here, and uh, then I'll, that's not how it works. And none, but you guys look a little bit too excited about the prospect of that. I should be <laughs> afraid of that. Wouldn't that be cool though? Think with me. How cool would it be if you could just wake up and you're a master chef? You, know, you could just uh, speak Spanish fluently. It reminds me, remember the Jason Bourne movies where you, know, you just realize all of a sudden I can kill people fluently in five languages and I didn't even know I could do that. That's not how it works. And I was thinking, but how cool would it be if when you became a Christian, you just immediately changed into a perfect person. Like you got out of the water of the baptistry, you were immersed into Christ, you confessed him as Lord, and you come out of the water. And from that point forward, you never say another bad word at the traffic light when it changes and the person in front of you doesn't go. You never think another greedy or lustful thought. You never do anything that you shouldn't. 
Is that how it works? So I'm just going to be really real and transparent with you. If that's how it's supposed to work, it's not working for me. And I know enough about enough of you to know it didn't work for you either. So I think we're all in this. So don't judge me. And, and that's actually the way God designed things. I think that if you just look at anything that God made, he really appreciates the growth process. So if you ever lose patience with yourself or someone else and you think you should be more mature than you are right now, but you look in the mirror or look at someone else, just realize that God fully intends to make everyone who commits to Jesus become mature, but there's a process that takes place. Last week we started in this series, the, the Life Edit, and then we're going through part of Ephesians, just looking at that idea of how does God change a person's life? And God truly does want to change your life, and he promises that he will, but it's a process that takes time. In fact, if you want to go ahead and go back to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be there and uh, work our way down through some verses today that get really practical. And last week, as we started, Paul just said to these people that he wrote this letter to, and they were all Christians already, but he says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, because they're hopelessly confused. He goes on, he just describes them, and by the way, Gentiles are just people who don't know God. They may be people who worship, and they worship uh, God's little g, but they just don't know the one true God. They don't know Jesus, and he says, when you don't know God, your life is a lot harder than it needs to be because you just end up making dumb choices. It's like being in a room, and the lights are off, and you're trying to navigate it, but you think the lights are on, and you just don't know why you're bumping into things, and you're just very, because you don't have the wisdom and light of God helping you make good decisions, and so what do you end up doing when you don't know God is you just look at what other people around you are doing. You just think about, what did my parents do? What did my, you know, what does my family do? What does my culture do and when you're taking your cue from that and you're not taking your cue from God life just doesn't work because the one who created us knows how life should be lived best and so Paul says look that's how you used to be but that's not how you met Christ and so he said um, this isn't what you learned about Christ this is Ephesians 4:20. since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him you've said Jesus is Lord he said throw away and throw off your old sinful nature your former way of life when you were a Gentile, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And this was all last week, and you can catch that message if you missed it. I called that, the three things that Paul described there, I call it the Oreo of being a Christian. You've got the two outer wafers. You've got, like, he said, there's some things in your life when you become a Christian that just need to go. Put them off. That's one wafer. The other wafer is there's some things when you become a Christian you need to put on. There's a new way of thinking. There's some new ways of treating people. There are new attitudes. And then the center of it all, just about what the time you get discouraged and go, there's no way I can even get rid of my bad habits, much less be the good person I'm supposed to be. But that center creamy part, the really good stuff, you know, the thing you scrape your teeth through on the Oreo, that's the Holy Spirit in you that helps you think differently. The Holy Spirit helps you see things in the way that you've never seen it before. The Holy Spirit actually empowers you to do things that you never had the self-discipline or self-control to do before. So that's the Oreo. So the more you get to know Jesus, and when you meet Jesus, that's when you start learning. That's when you start changing. That's when you start maturing. That's when you start growing. That's why we say here at Connection, we're here to help you get connected to God and each other through Jesus. Because as much as I love you, and as much as I try to teach the Bible faithfully, I don't have that kind of power to change you. I don't think any of you, even the best of us who are the most self-controlled people in the world, you don't have the power to change yourself, but Jesus can do all of that for you. Now today, what I want to do is just keep going through chapter four of Ephesians because Paul is so practical. You go like, what is this Oreo I'm supposed to eat? Well, he starts talking about things you need to get rid of and things you need to put on, and I just want to go through these because I'm just asking you to just be open to this. Would you just lean forward into what you're hearing this morning? Just 
You know, if you're sitting here kind of like this mentally, if not literally, and by the way, if anybody has your arms crossed right now, it's okay. I'm not, sometimes I just do this because it's comfortable, and I know, so I'm not, but if you're kind of inside going, I don't know that I want to hear this, will you just kind of relax and just know that God's on your side? And he, more than you can ever imagine, wants you to be the person that you really should be. He's pulling for you. So if any of this hurts, if any of it's hard, if it hits a little too close to home, number one, nobody talk to me about what you're going through. <laughs> I don't know anything, but I know that God may have some areas where he wants you to change and grow. Let's just go ahead and jump in where Paul started. He says in Ephesians 4.25, so stop telling lies. Put that off. What do we put on? Let's tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And I guess I'm, if I were to just try to encapsulate what Paul's saying is this new kind of life that God wants you to live is one that embraces truth-telling over lying. And I like how Paul just assumes that everybody lies. Did you notice that? He just says, stop lying. He didn't say, some of you have a problem with lying, so stop it. He just says, all of you, just stop lying because you know you do it. Everybody lies. We all know that. We lie to ourselves, don't we? Have you ever said something like, I'm just gonna eat one Girl Scout cookie? Yeah. And by the way, you're lying to yourself. You're telling yourself something that you yourself know is not true. One girl guy, that's okay. If you meant by that, the whole sleeve, at least for me, I'll unload the dishwasher tonight. Yeah. I'm only resting my eyes. We, we lie to ourselves and other people all the time. We assume that corporations lie to us and we don't even blink. We're just so cynical. Like uh, Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. Anybody ever eat those? Okay, so we got a picture maybe, if you don't know what a Pop-Tart is, we might have a picture of that. Tell me where the lie is in that. If somebody gave you a Kellogg's Pop-Tart, you know the rules, one bite, Frankie. What are you gonna rate that thing as? Does anyone look at that and go, I bet that's a healthy breakfast choice? That's not what I'm thinking, but somebody last year, and God bless this person, sued Kellogg's because they said, this is not representing reality. Because when you look at this, it's like it's gonna be full of strawberries. But when you look at the ingredients list on Pop-Tarts, Kellogg's strawberry Pop-Tarts, you have to get all the way down to the 2% or less section of the ingredients list to get to strawberries. And then it's listed with pears and apples. You know what you're actually getting. Someone walked through the room with a strawberry while they were making the Pop-Tarts, and it's red number 40 in strawberry smell. So, you know, I, don't, I always think like there's little slices of strawberry in there. No. So I'm glad there was a lawsuit because maybe we ought to get the idea in our heads that it's not okay that we just accept that people lie to us, that companies lie to us, that we lie to each other, that we just kind of always are on that defensive posture with one another thinking, I'm sure that in somewhere, some way, somebody's lying to me. Paul says this is an area that you need to work on. If you've been lying, if you've had a shady relationship with the truth, let's just deal with that because part of being a Jesus follower is you are a truth teller and you need to be completely honest with your words. Uh, I just wrote this down. There's something so healthy about people who are so committed to truth telling with one another that we don't distort, we don't hide, we don't misrepresent, we don't say anything that's untrue about reality. We accurately reflect reality with one another. You ruthlessly eliminate lying from your life. I'm just gonna let that one settle for a second. But then I know, like, maybe some of you are thinking the logical things, and I get it, and I've, I've thought of at least two yeah buts on this. Let me just give you one. When I say you need to be completely honest. Here's the first caveat I guess I would give you. Complete honesty does not always require complete transparency. And I don't know if that feels controversial to you, so I probably ought to explain what I mean by that. 
All I'm saying is when Paul says, let's be completely honest with one another, you don't have to turn into a five-year-old that tells the whole world everything about everything in your family. When I was a student minister, I loved teaching children's church. I learned so much about the families in my church from those little kids. They would tell you anything, and you didn't want to hear all the time the things you learned about families. But they, and that's not what it means to be completely honest. There's a reason why bathrooms have locks on them. There's a reason why we put blinds up in our house windows because, you know, we should be honest in everything we do say, but we don't have to say everything. It doesn't mean that you have to be completely transparent. I think of them as two different things. I should be 100% honest with you, but I don't have to be completely 100% transparent with you. There are some people who deserve to know certain things. There are other people that you just don't necessarily need to tell everything to. Pastor Kerry Newhoff said it this way. I've always appreciated how he says things. He said, people want to see the real you with your weaknesses and your mistakes and your vulnerabilities, but you don't want to be that oversharing, transparent person on your Facebook newsfeed whose every emotion, relational struggle, and moment of self-doubt is posted for the whole planet to gawk at. My rule of thumb on this, and I don't know that I've got this perfectly, perfectly figured out, but my rule of thumb is the closer you are to me relationally, the more you get to see of me. And for me, that means, and, and I would just maybe tell you, you're welcome to use this too. There's like just maybe one, two, three people in that inner circle who gets to know everything about you. God knows everything about you. There probably ought to be at least one other human being who knows everything. But then the further out you go relationally, the less relationally warm people are. Maybe there's some best friends, some really good friends who know a lot, but you know, then you get out to the people that you know really well, but they're like friends from work or they're friends from your neighborhood. And there comes a point where if you don't have high trust, you shouldn't have high sharing. That's just healthy. And I mean, if you, you can feel free to push back on this and we can have a conversation about it afterwards. This is just the way that it seems to work for me. And so if you feel like your life should be 100% out there, 100% transparent, and you find some pain points in your life, this might be one of those reasons because I think there's a, a balance here and a nuance to it. But I will say in your relationships, especially in your close marital, your you know, serious romantic relationships, there's a lot to be said for being transparent with each other. I really appreciate something that Pastor Rudy Haygood uh, wrote. He was actually, Rudy and his wife O'Sherry have a, like a marital counseling ministry, and he's a pastor of University Christian Church out in Los Angeles, California. And you would think a pastor and his wife who have a marriage ministry would have it all figured out, but they even admit that they struggle with this, but one of the things that really helps them in their marriage is just being transparent. And O'Sherry said, I'll just tell you what she, read what she said. Uh, she said, I remember the very first time I asked Rudy to tell me how he was really feeling. I told him it would make our relationship better. I could see his inner turmoil. It was as if tiny Rudy's were on each shoulder and both were trying to convince him, don't do it, Rudy, don't do it. This is the way to the abyss. Don't tell her what you're really thinking. But he was honest with me. And as a result, we entered the realm of radical truth together. Don't get me wrong. It was like diving into the abyss. Yet we found that paradise exists because of this honesty and authenticity. So I'm not telling you like completely wall yourself off from everyone. There should be some people in your life that you can be that transparent with. And I hope that you have a good friend, someone in your family, maybe somebody that's really close that you can be that open with. Now I need to share the other caveat here before I move on here. Uh, the other thing about being completely honest is you can do it without being a jerk. And you should. Uh, you, it's not required. Like, you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It's not part of what we read, but uh, let's just go ahead and see this. He says, uh, 
You know, there's a point where, as you know Jesus, you start maturing, and you're not like a little kid anymore. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. Yeah, there's a way to hold on to truth and to love at the same time. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's not, well, the more I love someone, the less honest I can be because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or if I really, I got to tell the truth, but then that just means sometimes I got to really break some eggs here. It's possible to be both at the same time. You can have truth and love simultaneously. And I've seen this in action this last week. Just a little insight, a little transparency into my world. Um, my mom, I, I think a lot of you know, has MS and some other health issues. Last weekend was rough, and this whole week was honestly just really rough. I got a call basically on the way to church that mom was heading to the ER, and I'm like, woo, should I come? And then we realized she's stable enough. I just came and went and preached with you all last week and then went straight there, and it was pretty bad. And we got some things figured out through the week and lots of going back and forth and leaving the hospital and going straight to another surgeon and all kinds of stuff, but... And by the way, thank you for those of you who've been praying for her. And she is doing much better this weekend. Three different times this week, I watched doctors talk to mom, and they did this perfectly. By the way, shout out to all of you in the medical profession. You've been dealing with a lot of stuff over the last couple of years, a lot of pressures. And I just watched three doctors who just killed it with the truth and the love. Because you want your doctor to tell you the truth. You don't want them to hold back because they don't want to hurt your feelings. I need to know what's going on. But you don't want your doctor to walk in and just go, it's really bad, here you go. You can read the chart yourself and walk out. You need the truth and the love. And I just watched them deliver really hard news really well. I watched other caregivers do the same thing. So kudos to all of you. I'm just telling you, if people in high-stress environments can do it, you can do it. Maybe this is an area that God wants to work with you on. It's just upping the honesty level in your relationships. But you know, Paul keeps going. Let's go ahead and do, follow him along. It says Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. He says, just don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And what he's saying is the new you that God is creating knows how to handle anger appropriately. And again, I really appreciate Paul because he just assumes everybody gets mad. It's kind of like lying. And he doesn't say, don't get mad. He just says, he actually literally said, get mad. Just don't sin when you're mad. Because that's the problem, isn't it? It's what we do when we're angry. It's what we say when we're mad. It's when we lose our temper and things get broken and words get said and, you know, and honk, horns get honked. And so Paul just says, look, you're going to get mad. We all do. It's not a sin to get mad. Just deal with it appropriately. And when you realize this is, this is a game changer, when you realize that God gave you anger for a reason, you are emotionally wired for that. It's like the light on your dashboard of your car that pops on and says, hey, check engine. If you don't like it being on, don't cover it over with tape. <laughs> Go to the mechanic and figure out why the light's on. And if you're mad, you should, that's God's way of saying pause and figure out why you're mad because there's something not right and you need to do something. And maybe even the anger is God's way of helping you propel yourself to get something fixed. In fact, anger is often a symptom of a deeper issue and it's your invitation to check it out. I appreciate what Pastor Chip Ingram said. This is out of his book, Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. Oh, and by the way, this whole series, if anger is an area for you, you can go on Right Now Media, and there's, this whole series is on video teaching. So you could, and if you don't know what Right Now Media is, catch us in the hub after church, and we'd love to help you get that. It's a great resource, free to you, because we pay for it. But Chip Ingram says, most of us spend way too much time trying to figure out how do we get rid of our anger when we should be asking ourselves, what's going on inside that makes me angry? 
to resolve your anger, you need to identify the root reason for it. Anger is a secondary response telling us something's missing, wrong, or it's uncomfortable, and it needs to be checked, changed, or fixed. And, and you know this. You get the fight-or-flight response. Anger is just something that's triggered when something's not right. And when you get that first surge of emotion, what Paul says is, just in your anger, don't sin. Just hit pause and figure out why. Why am I mad? It's really cool here. The Apostle Paul is actually quoting the Bible himself. He's quoting something from the Old Testament. And if you go back to the old part of your Bible, in the Psalms, there is a Psalm written by King David of Israel. It was written a thousand years before Paul. And he's quoting Psalm 4 when he says, in your anger, don't sin. So it's a Psalm 4 too. I'll just read it for us. King David said, how long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? Can you see, like as a king, you probably got people all the time as a politician just taking pot shots at you. But look at verse four. King David said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Maybe you find yourself in a situation, you're mad. But if you can hit pause, let the adrenaline surge go, and then think, why am I mad? Like, that's what David said. In my situation, I was really mad that people were libeling me and slandering me. They were saying all kinds of things that weren't true. Well, you know what I did? I just went to bed. I thought about it. And when I woke up, David said, my solution was, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to let the Lord fight that battle. I'm going to let him find revenge for me. I'm going to let people's stupidity be found out that they, what they're saying wasn't true. I don't know if that's what you do. You may actually need to take action. But what Paul would advise you and what David would advise you is don't do anything too hastily in your anger, but at the same time, don't let a whole season, like he says, don't go to bed angry. Like, don't let a whole season of your life go by where you're just angry and stewing on it and bitter and you've never figured out why. You deal with that. And when you hit pause, it's so powerful. And, and you might find, because there's so many things that make us angry. It could be an injustice in your life or one that you see. It could be something you're trying to control that shouldn't be controlled. Maybe it's that uh, you're not getting your way or maybe something's just not right or maybe you feel fearful and it's coming out as anger or you're jealous. Who knows? But when you do say, take a pause, you'll figure it out. Maybe this is an area the Lord wants to work with you and this is the Oreo you need to eat today. But we can keep going. Down in Ephesians 4.28, Paul keeps going. He says, if you are a thief... Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and give generously to others in need. Because the new you would rather give generously than steal selfishly. You know, heard a story, a true story. One morning, Linda Beck was taking the offering from her church, she's a financial officer, to the bank. And her little boy was in the car with her. And somehow from his car seat, he managed to get the, hold the bank bag and unzipped it. And he said, wow, and he'd open up. And to him, it's just like a lot of money, a lot of cash and checks. And, Mommy, where did you get all this money? She said, I got it from the offering plates at church. Does God know you did that? <laughs> I mean, even little kids know thou shalt not steal. It's a thing. And, and apparently, though, Paul had to write the words. Like, you ever have things like your employee handbook is this thick because one person did something once at your place of employment, so it had to be written in there? I, my brother-in-law has a theory that, like, any time a new rule has to be added to the employee handbook, it should be named after the person that caused it to be written in there. <laughs> this is the Brian rule. There'd be a lot of Brian rules. But Paul didn't there assume everybody steals. He said, if you're stealing, stop. Because there were a lot of people probably in the church there who had found a way to improve their life and it was by stealing. 
He says, look, you're a Christian now. We don't do that. As a Gentile, before you knew God, maybe that seemed like, maybe a lot of people around you were doing that. If you could get away with it, you take it, you do that. But in this new life, that's not how we live anymore in God's family. Even a three-year-old knows that. But we look in our culture, and a lot of people need to be told, stop stealing. There was that case, oh gosh, maybe you saw the video. It went viral back in, I think last summer. It was in San Francisco. A dude rode into a Walgreens on his bicycle with a black trash bag, filled it full of merch, rolled back out. Meanwhile, there's like a security guard filming it all on his camera and just, he rolled right by the security guard now. Or maybe you remember there was a New York Police Department sergeant who was arrested for stealing a bunch of stuff from Macy's. There was a prosecuting attorney, I think on the East Coast that was also arrested for stealing a bunch of cosmetics. I saw this one on TikTok. The most hardened criminal you can imagine uh, stole something from a pet store. I think we've got a picture of that. You gotta watch out for people like that. <laughs> when dad has to go back in the store and pay for what you walked out with. So, I don't know if some of you have maybe in your lifetime practiced the five-finger discount. See, there's a part of me, I'm just being completely honest with you, that thinks so well of you and so highly of you that I think I just need, I, I could skip this. There's no one in my congregation, there's no one watching online who steals. But then I think, like, there's the other cynical side of me that knows. I read all the time of even, like, churches whose employees have stolen and embezzled. I know of businesses where people have walked out with millions of dollars. I know people are shoplifting all the time. My brother, little brother at one point had a, a job just as loss prevention. And it's just amazing the stories he would tell me about things that people would try to or successfully steal. And Paul says, look, this is not how God wants to bless your life. If you're stealing, stop. Don't do that. You need to start working hard. Let God bless the efforts of whatever you can do. And then what you end up doing is you start taking the good things that you've brought into your life through hard work and you use it to bless other people. You completely flip that mindset. I'm not here to take, I'm here to give. Nothing combats greed in a person's life quite like that. To say, I'm here to give, not to receive. And when we're in a church family, we're, come on, we're all here to take care of each other and I'm working as hard as I can for you and at the same time you're working as hard as you can for me, this is where we truly become a place that everybody wants to be a part of. We're not taking advantage of anybody. We're just becoming more and more godly. And so if you're stealing, stop. If you've stolen, give it back. Repent. Make restitution. Admit it. it God will help you. We, I'll be there with you if you want to go work it out with somebody. Because we're, we'll be here with each other. We don't judge each other. We just try to help each other move forward. So if this is an area you need to grow, do it. All right, let's go on down to verse 29. I gotta move fast. All right, so he says in verse 29, verse 30, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, the Holy Spirit has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. The new you uses your words well. And I know some of you are like, Brian, you should have stopped the sermon just one minute ago. It would have been great at this point. Uh, I was reading on social media a mom was talking about her five-year-old daughter named Marissa Marissa was making a card for grandma and she said mommy should I use nice words or bad words in grandma's birthday card never mind I'll figure it out myself I have no idea how that one turned out I'm kind of wondering if she's still in the will or not so there's a part of me though kind of wonders what the bad words were so this is the thing the new you that God is creating has an edited vocabulary 
And maybe you grew up in an environment where you learned all the nice salty words, the things, maybe even for you, this is how you get things done. This is how people know to take you seriously. You underline it with some choice language. Maybe that's just the culture that you're in. Maybe nobody will take you seriously, you think, if you don't use this. Maybe you don't even think about it. It's just the way you talk, and it doesn't mean anything. It's just sounds that come out of your mouth. But Paul is saying, there was a time in your life where, okay, but this is not, as you mature and grow up, that stuff just needs to go away. You just, it doesn't have any place in your life anymore. It's okay to just start editing your language. And even if you start to try and you realize it's harder than you thought it would be, welcome to life because some of these things are hard to change. You have to rewire your brain, your way of thinking. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. So just lean into that and ask him. And I like what he said down in chapter five, verse four. He says, uh, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these aren't for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. I am actually, I, I've been praying all week for you that if this is just an area you struggle with, or maybe you don't struggle, you say, I don't struggle at all. I enjoy talking like this. It's fun to tell those stories. I get a good laugh. I'm praying that you'll be convicted by that, that God will help you change the way you talk so that no matter who's in the room, you don't have to apologize. You don't ever have to say, pardon my French. You can just say whatever you're thinking and whatever comes out is a blessing. It's an encouragement and it's something that comes from a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things Paul said was don't use any foul language. But he also said don't use any abusive language. And I've been praying for any of you who this is a struggle on either end. Like you've got somebody in your life who's highly abusive and critical in the way they speak or that you just tend to be more negative and critical and cynical and harsh than you need to be, that God will help you grow in this area. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit can get a hold of you in a way. I, I'm not trying to nag you. I'm just telling you this is an area that a lot of us need to grow in. And... Uh, you know, I find this, I was just thinking about it. I, I'm gonna go ahead and read verses 31 and 32 in a second here. But I was thinking how Paul probably wouldn't have had to even write verses 31 and 32 if we were doing what he'd said just in verses 29 and 30 and just watching how we talk to each other. You know, it says in verse 31 and 32, get rid of all the bitterness and the rage and the anger, the harsh words, the slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, the new you knows how to uh, deal with it when you've been hurt. And a lot of the times, the things that make us feel rageful and angry, and many of the times that we say slanderous things, it's often because we were provoked first. Somebody said something harsh to us. Somebody said something overly critical to us. Somebody just said some things into your life that should never have been said or done. And it's made you feel an incredible sense of needing to get some revenge, to get back at someone. You don't want to forgive. You need to hold on to that because that fire inside of you is the only way you can keep away the pain that you feel because somebody's hurt you so badly. And Paul says, look, God can help you with that even. He can teach you a whole new way to, to see and filter all the things you've experienced in life, things that God would never have preferred come into your life, but they did. And I know I'm talking to a lot of people who have been carrying around a lot of weight for way too long from things that have come into your life that you didn't ask for, things that have been said to you that should never have been said, things that weren't encouraging, things that weren't meant to build you up. They were meant to put you in your place or to put you down or to make you somehow be punished. And, and God doesn't want that for you. And maybe today, and like I've been praying for you too, that you would let go of some things you've been carrying far too long. And maybe there's like a person who isn't even in your life anymore, but you're still haunted by the things they said to you. It still stings. You still remember it. It feels like it was just yesterday. 
It's time to let that go. You know, there's a time when you just come to a point where God's saying, look, we can do something with this if you're ready. And maybe today is the day for you where God just says, there's some things in your life that need to go. And if you're willing to work with me, today, right now, is a great time to start. And God says, there's some things that need to be in your life, and I'm willing to help you start some new habits. We can rewire that brain of yours. We can start looking at your future with a whole much greater sense of optimism than maybe you ever had before, that you can be a person who is kind and, uh, and offering such, not, such a blessing to people that they would never have expected based on how bad they were to be tender-hearted, to, to literally be able to put yourself into someone else's position who just, they're just odious to you, but yet to try to still think about why are they like that, to be that tender-hearted and compassionate to somebody who doesn't deserve it, to forgive people who've hurt you, in fact, to, to just let it go and not punish them anymore. I'm in no way saying that you should reestablish or maintain a relationship with somebody who's unhealthy. There's a point where you have to have some healthy boundaries, and uh, we can talk about that if you need to. I can point you to some counselors, even if it needs to get to that level. So I'm not trying to say, like, just pretend like everything's fine. But I think that God maybe wants to help you grow past some of these things. And today could be a day where things are so different for you. And I hope you know this, but I'm going to go ahead and make it really clear to you. As a pastor, I'm for you. I'm on your side because God's on my side. And he's done some amazing, grace-filled things for me that I never could have done for myself. And so I don't stand up here and judge you when I say these things. I'm just trying to faithfully represent what he's telling you and let you get to work with the Holy Spirit and partner together to see these things happen in your life. And it can happen. And I guarantee you, if you would write down where you are right now today and then just try your best to follow the Lord's leading on this, a year from now, you'll look back on what you wrote on today and go, wow, is that really where I was at? I've really grown. I've really changed. I've matured. And you may not notice it because it's such a gradual thing, but the Lord will do it. He's really good at it. In fact, I'm just going to close out with this. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul just says, look, everything I've said, just imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God, this is it right here. This is God's goal. And if you think, ooh, that sounds kind of weird. God wants me to be like God? Yes, in that he wants you to live the life that you were always meant to live. This is playing at the God level when you treat people with all this compassion and grace that they don't deserve, when you forgive others no matter what they've done. But God can help you do that. There's a whole new life out there and God will make it happen for you if you'll submit to him and trust him. And I'm praying for that for you. In fact, let me just pray right now with you. And God, this, um, sometimes this seems like a dream. It maybe even for some of us seems like it's, uh, wouldn't that be great, but it's never gonna happen for me. And I, and Father, I'm just asking right now that you would change that way of thinking for anyone who believes that this isn't possible, that they could just know the power that you have for anyone who will come to you in faith, that these things are realities, that they are our future, that you've guaranteed it. Will you just take your Holy Spirit and say things to us that I can't say myself, Father, that we would just all hear directly from you how much you love us, how much you plan to change us, how much you have in store in our future. Just fill us with optimism, fill us with courage to do the things we need to do. And I thank you so much for bringing us together in this family. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.